on this episode of the London Lyceum. We talk with Dr. Luke Stamps and Dr. Matt Emerson about Baptist Catholicity. So we cover all sorts of topics like what is Baptist Catholicity? Should we really want to be Baptist and Catholic if we're Baptists? Why have so many Baptists in the last at least 50 plus years been either naive to the necessity of Catholicity or outright hostile toward it? What would you like to see moving forward with those committed to Baptist Catholicity? What are the particular challenges that might come with seeking Catholicity as a Baptist? And so much more. As always, if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, hit us up, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or check us out at our website, thelondonlyceum.com. Now, for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of The London Lyceum. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Askew. And we're a podcast that's dedicated to serious thinking for a serious church, but we want to do that by creating an intellectual culture of charity, curiosity, and critical thinking, and cheerful confessionalism. So we want to both be serious about our thinking, uh, but also be serious about our virtue, because we think those things go together, and you can't do one well without the other. Now, today I'm excited to introduce you all to both Dr. Luke Stamps and Dr. Matt Emerson. I know those of you who listen regularly know these guys, um, and I have no doubt benefit from all their work at the Center for Baptist Renewal, as well as the publishing that they do. Um, I'm pretty sure we can't go throughout a holy week without seeing Matt Emerson's book on the descent uh, posted all over Twitter for good reason. So go check that book out if you haven't. Um, but I'll tell you, these guys have been doing awesome work. I can't think of two better theologians, I mean, in the Baptist tradition today that are doing uh, as good of work as them. So really thankful for what they're doing. So if you don't know them, you need to check out their stuff. But today we're going to be talking about Baptist Catholicity. So they've got an edited volume. Uh, The title is totally escaping me. I think it's Baptist in the Christian tradition. But the idea is thinking through... Um, how to how do Baptists interact with a small c Catholic, Catholicity spirit? Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to them both of them about this. Now, before we jump in, for those who don't know who you guys are, can you give me just where you're at now, and maybe tell me a little bit about? I mean, you don't have to give me your whole life story on how this happened, but when you think about Baptist Catholicity, was this something that was always on your radar, or did, was there something that really? clicked in your mind where you said, this is something I want to pursue and want to focus on. I'll start with uh, Matt. You can go ahead and go. Sure. So I grew up in a mainline church uh, that was theologically liberal. Um, and, you know, long story short is as uh, I grew older, I was saved at 14 and then called into the ministry at 17 um, and in between those time periods and also into college, I realized that my church uh, was not teaching and preaching scripture rightly. And, or I should say the, the pastors, uh, there were, there were faithful people there. Um, but the pastors of that church were not teaching and preaching rightly. And as I looked into the denomination, um, I realized I didn't agree with quite a few things, including infant baptism. Um, and so, was uh, I became a Southern Baptist in college, um, and that was largely through the influence um, of my wife, who was then my girlfriend. Uh, but read the be- real talk. Yeah, right that's now. right. She yeah. she don't don't make it out to be like some uh, 
you know, cold, objective, doctrinal She missionary dated decision. me, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my granddad said, you better watch out, that Baptist girl is going to get you dunked. And he was right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a situation where, especially through her influence, I was confronted with what the Bible says in relation to what my church was saying and realized that they were in conflict. And so I was looking for another, uh, I, I was, I felt called the ministry, like I said, and so I was looking for a denomination in which to pursue seminary and then, and then pastoring. Um, and through that, you know, I jettisoned my upbringing's doctrinal tradition, but I also just sort of by default jettisoned liturgical, uh, elements of worship because I felt like the two went hand in hand. Here's this liberal dead lifeless um, service that is liturgical. And, uh, you know, I thought those two went hand in hand. Uh, later on in seminary, I became friends with two guys who eventually went Angl- Anglican, which is not necessary. Okay, so I just want to put that out there. You don't have to go Anglican if you rediscover the liturgical tradition of the church. Um but they, you know, they were praying uh, daily using the Book of Common Prayer and, and introduced me to some other elements of the liturgical tradition of the church. And I also saw it with life at a conference I went to where um, we had four scripture readings in the service, took the Lord's Supper, um, had a confession and assurance of pardon, all, all the elements that we usually think of when we think of a liturgical service. And I saw the beauty of it when people actually believe what they're saying and confessing um, and when they're confessing the truth. So uh, at that point, I became interested in retrieving those sorts of things. And then Luke and I met in 2012 at CBU and realized we had a common interest. So I'll, I'll pause there and let him tell his side of the story. There's probably more than one way um, to tell my story, but one way that um, would maybe especially interest uh y'all's listeners is um, my first semester at Southern Seminary, my very first uh, systematic theology paper, I, I wrote a paper seeking to refute the doctrine of divine simplicity, uh, in which I used as my primary source, uh, Alvin Plantinga's Is God a Property? And uh, I was I was sort of on a trajectory of... of um, I guess the kind of biblicism that you might say. Um, and I don't know, biblicism means different things to different people. Um, I, I think we could, we could rehabilitate a kind of biblicism, but what I mean by it here is, uh, a suspicion of the tradition, uh, seeking to sort of do theology from the ground up based on exegesis alone. Right. I mean, and, and that's what I was trying to do in that paper, obviously bringing in some philosophy and trying to say that, we can make a better uh, accounting of the divine attributes than what the classical Christian tradition gave us. Um, and then the, the very next uh, January, I took a J term uh, with uh, Dr. Wellam, my, who ended up being my doctoral supervisor. And um, it was on the doctrine of God. And in that, in that uh, class, he um, very winsomely showed that the, the attributes associated with classical Christian theism are actually grounded in scripture and, and that we should show deference to the tradition and seek to try to understand it with a sympathetic uh, eye instead of with suspicion. 
And that, that really changed the trajectory of my theological orientation uh, away from a kind of uh, suspicion of the tradition towards a more uh, deference or appreciation, respect for the tradition. And, um, and so my dissertation then, once I went on to pursue doctoral studies, was largely concerned with historical theology. Um, and so that's one way that I sort of got interested in uh, a vision of, of the Baptist faith, so not in any way seeking to uh, become something other than Baptist, uh, but, but trying to situate the Baptist faith within the broader Christian tradition on these issues. And as I continued my studies, I, I found out that that vision is perfectly at home in the Baptist vision and the Baptist movement. The, the, the further back you go in our own history, the more uh, uh, roots and tendrils you find into that traditional soil. So that's how I got interested in this sort of doctrinal work. Uh, so I think we've got a pretty good feel for what you guys mean when you say Baptist Catholicity. So maybe we can move to what you guys think went wrong. Why, why do you think there seems to be a bit of a loss of this uh, Catholic spirit among Baptists, maybe especially um, in the, I guess, the second half of the 20th century? It doesn't seem like this was um, something that was really on people's radar, and now it's something that we're maybe moving back toward. I think it probably goes back to the 19th century, actually. Um, as you move into, especially the Baptist movement in America, um, you, you, that's where you really see this turn away from um, traditional doctrinal formulations. Um, so even in our confessional heritage, if you go back to the, um, you know, the earliest Baptist confessions of faith in the 17th century in England, uh, they're very self-consciously indebted to other confessions of faith from other Protestant traditions and and even from creedal uh, and conciliar language as well. So it's it's not it's not um, unusual at all to see language reminiscent of Nicaea and Chalcedon uh, and the Articles of Religion and the Westminster Confession of Faith and so on. So there's this indebtedness to this broader Christian confessional tradition. Whereas when you move into the New World uh, in the 19th century. Confessions of faith tend to be more the language of the Bible. Um, and again, that might sound really uh, good and right for people who are committed to sola scriptura, committed to the Bible. Uh, but of course, the Bible needs to be interpreted, and, and that's why you have creeds and confessions. Um, and so just simply repeating the words of the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us what you believe those words mean. Uh, and then, of course, you also have this tendency towards a kind of creedless uh, Christianity, no creed but the Bible, no creed but Christ, that uh, sort of seeps into the Baptist movement in America. And so you, you have Baptists sort of wanting to position themselves by the time you get to the late 19th century as neither Catholic nor Protestant. So you have the landmark movement, for those who are familiar with uh, Baptist history on this, that is trying to say, no, we can trace our heritage uh, through a succession of movements all the way back to John the Baptist. Uh, and so that really we stand apart from all of these other traditions. Um, and so that, that then feeds into the 20th century and this kind of uh, idea of, well, you also have controversies in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, raging uh, throughout the, the 20th century. I'm thinking about this specifically from an American context um, that, that sort of feed into this idea that Baptists are um, this unique last best hope of earth, right? The, the Southern Baptist Convention is this 
kind of uh, uniquely faithful um, denomination. Uh, everyone else has gotten it all terribly wrong. Uh, we're the ones that have everything right. And then in the Southern Baptist Convention particularly, uh, you have this kind of insular uh, feedback loop so that we have our own Sunday school curriculum, our own programs, our, our own, uh, you know, uh, publishing house, our, our own press. And, and so it's sort of like who needs anybody else but what the Southern Baptist Convention is doing. Um, and of course, that produced a lot of a lot of very helpful things. I'm not trying to diminish what what good came from that, but it did kind of produce um, a, a sectarian impulse, I think, in Baptists in America. That again, I think you can see trace back to these earlier uh, trends. Okay, now I'd love you to talk a little bit just about the idea of Baptist Catholicity in general for those who are suspicious of the idea. So they hear the terminology Catholicity and their Roman Catholic radars go off and they think, no, 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 Baptists should not be Catholic. They should be separate. They should be Baptist. They should not be doing anything swimming near the Tiber, getting close to the Tiber, smelling the Tiber, none of that Catholic out. So talk to me about those sort of people who want to say, I feel uncomfortable with the idea of being pursuing Baptist Catholicity. What's your pitch? If you met them in an elevator, how would you explain it to them and say, no, 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 Baptist, this is part of your heritage. You should be pursuing Baptist Catholicity with a lowercase c. Well, I think uh, I think that Luke has some really good thoughts on this from from Scripture and from um, theological perspective. I think what I'll just say briefly is, if you read early Baptists, the the first Baptists in their vision for Baptist life and thought were deeply and intricately connected and purposely connected to the Christian tradition and to the Reformation. They did not see themselves as some kind of isolationist, separatist movement. Um, I mean, they were separatists in the sense of they were separating from the Church of England. But in terms of isolating themselves from the rest of the Christian tradition, that is not how they viewed themselves at all. They uh, Both particular Baptists, that is uh, what we would call Calvinist Baptists, and then general Baptists or non-Calvinist Baptists, both groups of early British Baptists uh, in very specific ways— connected their confessions of faith uh, to the Christian tradition by referencing the Nicene Creed and the the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasian Creed by using the language of Nicene Trinitarianism in their articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, by using the language of Chalcedon as they talked about Christology. I mean, it's very explicit. And they connected themselves to the Magisterial Reformation by using the language uh, used by the Reformers related to justification related to the nature of the church, so not in terms of um, corpus perixtum or not in terms of the sacraments, uh, but in terms of uh, differentiating themselves from Roman Catholic views of the nature of the church and the papacy especially. So, you know, the early Baptists, from a historical perspective, the early Baptists were Catholic, small c Catholic. Early Baptists believed that they were part of the church Catholic, the whole church throughout space and time, and that they were reforming it according to the scriptures. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, the um, the, the the word I mentioned earlier, I think, is um, apt. We don't want to become a sect, right? I mean, like we, we don't want the Baptist movement to um, to be something other than Christian, right? We want to identify with 
the uh, the broader Christian tradition. We are Christians first, right? One of our uh, mentors in this work, Timothy George, has sometimes said that um, we are Baptists best when we are not Baptists first, but when we are Christians first, right? We first and foremost identify with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in, in our uh, profession of faith in him as our Savior and Lord. And uh, that commits us to uh, all kinds of things uh, in terms of biblical authority and also uh, the creedal tradition on who this triune God is and who Christ is and his uh, two natures and so on. So that we, we are committed to a body of, of, of faith, a body of doctrine uh, as Christians uh, first and foremost. Uh, and Baptist is very important as well, but it, it, it cascades from there, right? Our commitment in being Baptist, we um, don't hold with the same kind of primacy that we hold our commitment as Christians. And so to emphasize Catholicity is, is, is simply to make that point, right? That we, um, we identify first and foremost with Christ and with all who belong to Christ. And we recognize that we might get some things wrong in our theology, right? So I think part of Baptist Catholicity is an attempt to say, uh, not, not an attempt in any way to say we're going to lessen our, our convictions on being Baptist, but it is to say, um, you know, in humility, we have much to learn and much to gain by interaction with other kinds of Christians. Yeah, it sounds like maybe one of the first steps uh, in this process would be becoming more familiar with the Baptist heritage itself, because it seems like, you know, we have it modeled for us right there with the, the 17th century Baptist. And I think that's maybe the first problem is a lot of Baptist pastors um, and Baptist churches aren't familiar enough with the with their own Baptist history. Um, so maybe that would be a, a good first step. But let's take this to the local church level. What would you say that a pastor can practically do to promote the spirit of Catholicity uh, in the local church body with the way he preaches, teaches, um, with just how the life of the local church is run? Well, one of the first things that we recommend to churches that want to pursue some kind of Baptist Catholicity is to just simply add a element to their worship service where they pray for churches in their area. So that's just a, a really simple way uh, to acknowledge that Christ is at work uh, through his spirit in other churches besides your own. Um, another fairly simple way that we think um can, we think can help Baptist churches incorporate more liturgical elements is through adding scripture readings. And, you know, I don't think in doing that you have to announce, hey, we're using the revised common lectionary. But uh, if you want to, you can. But people might not understand that. But they do understand the importance of reading the Bible. And all you're doing in that point at that point is using a tool to organize what you're reading for uh, the service. So, you know, we're going to start the service off with a reading from Psalms. Well, a lot of churches already have a, a call to worship that's typically a scripture reading. Um, so that's fairly easy. You Typically, most Baptist churches read the text prior to uh, the sermon. Um, so that's another easy one. And then you're talking about adding just a couple of of, of texts, uh, in addition to those, maybe an old Testament and a gospel or an old Testament, and new Testament, whatever you're preaching from adding to from other places. So that's relatively simple. Um, I think when it, you know, when it gets to the point where you're adding, say a recitation of the apostles creed, or you're adding Lord's supper weekly, um, that's when it starts to get more 
I don't, I don't want to say difficult, but I think there's some groundwork you have to lay um, for those elements. You know, confession and assurance of pardon is one of those that might be relatively simple depending on your congregation, but it also could use some groundwork as well. So I, I usually um, recommend starting with praying for their churches and then scripture readings and then go from there. And also just getting to know other Christians in your area. I mean, some of the things that Matt is mentioning are, are ways that we can connect to uh, liturgical and worship practices that are shared by all Christians. But but even on a more relational level, get to know the other, you know, first of all, get to know the other Baptist pastors in your area. You know, I mean, one of the things that we don't always do a great job of because we believe in local church autonomy uh, is that we don't we don't always know what's going on in our own local associations in our own local area. Like what, what's going on in that Baptist church down the road? Um, it, local church autonomy is a valued Baptist distinctive, but it can devolve into a kind of radical independency where we see ourselves as sort of building our own little empires, where we, we're just trying to get a market share of the Christians in a particular area uh, instead of seeing ourselves as a part of a broader movement. Uh, Baptists don't believe in a kind of institutional connectionalism, but we should believe in a spiritual connectionalism where we actually have a kinship with our fellow Baptist churches. So one of the places we can begin is right right there, like not, not even just praying for other churches outside of our, our tradition, but actually knowing and praying for by name with specificity other Baptist churches in your area. And then from there, uh, other other traditions as well, praying for the Methodist church, praying for the Presbyterian, Anglican, Lutheran church. Um, and so on, like just, just, uh, starting local, getting to know, uh, pastors, other ministries in your area so that you, again, we don't, we don't create this kind of insular world where we think we're the only people who are doing good gospel work. I, I think relationships are what are, are so often missing, especially as we think in a, in a social media world where people are just constantly sniping about everything. Uh, I think a lot of that is owing to the fact that they don't have real embodied relationships with other people who are different than them. And I think that's a good place to start. So on, so we've talked about some of the things you can do, but what are some of the potential challenges that come with uh, seeking Baptist Catholicity as, I guess, as a Baptist, seeking Catholicity as a Baptist? Um, And are you concerned at all about the growing movement for it becoming somewhat tribal in some ways? Because it always seems that, um, any growing movement ends up having these tendencies. So what are your thoughts on challenges and possible issues with something like that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly possible to to just get to be a kind of cage stage Catholic. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with that phrase, I'm, I'm sure you guys are. But, you know, we used to talk about like cage stage Calvinists, people who just discovered the five points of Calvinism. They were raised in a basically free will uh, Baptist context. Um, and then that's all they want to talk about. So they're not fit to be around or talk to. They just need to put them in a cage for a couple of years and let them cool off. Right. And I think you can have cage stage, uh, that cage stage phenomenon with anything that um, people become convinced of in adulthood. <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing more insufferable than an adult convert. Um to anything like, you know, it could be like to a new coffee or, uh, uh, to a new restaurant or whatever, you know, like, but, but certainly in the, in the realm of religion, actual converts to different religious convictions. And I, I think that if we lose uh, a sense of humility, then, then we're sort of 
defeating the purpose of, of seeking this little C Catholicity. If we kind of say, well, if you're not doing everything just the way we are, um, if you're not reciting the creed or if you're not, um, you know, tapping into these other uh, liturgical practices or, or whatever, even if, even if you're not dotting all of your I's and crossing all of your T's doctrinally the same way um, that we are, um, then I think you have to be patient with people, right? I mean, I think for a long time, evangelicals more broadly and Baptists in particular have not had a rich, robust sense of the tradition. And as a result, uh, there's been all kinds of evangelical theologies that have been produced without the benefit of those well-worn paths of, of doctrinal formulation from the past. And so there is some cleaning up to do, we might say, uh, in some of the ways that, that evangelicals have talked about the Trinity, for example. We've seen that in the last several years. Um, and there's, there's two ways that we can go about uh, correcting that. We could uh, just, you know, come in like gangbusters and, like, you know, like we're just trying to, um, you know, just blast all of these mistakes that people made and, and try to just, you know, reestablish uh, these, these creedal truths. Or we could just very patiently, slowly, lovingly uh, say, well, you know, here, here are some better paths. We want to avoid those mistakes. We want to uh, seek to, to reconnect to the old paths. Um, otherwise, we'll sort of end up canceling J.I. Packer, you know, uh, who I, you know, recently reread the Knowing God section on the Trinity, he doesn't get it exactly the way I would say it, you know, and I'm not trying to, I mean, who am I to say that I'm smarter than J.I. Packer? I'm not, but I'm just saying like J.I. Packer, uh, for all of his many virtues, um, was, was also a product of his time, um, and, and was deeply, uh, influenced by, uh, Puritan spirituality. So it's not like he was disconnected from the tradition. But some of the, the same mistakes that other 20th century authors make on the Trinity, J.I. Packer makes on the Trinity. Um, and so that's, that's okay. I mean, we don't, we don't, that doesn't mean that we uh, throw out uh, J.I. Packer or B.B. Warfield, another one that I have just recently been reading again, uh, who rejects the doctrine of eternal generation. Well, that's a, that's a bad move, Warfield, <laughs> you know, uh, but who am I to cancel B.B. Warfield? You know what I mean? There's so much, so much, uh, uh, so many riches that we gain from reading Warfield on the person and work of Christ and on the inspiration and authority of scripture and, and on and on. Um, but we don't want to follow his mistake in that, right? We don't, we don't want to repeat that mistake of denying eternal generation, which is so crucially important to uh, classical Trinitarianism. So I think we have to find a way not to, cancel the past, right? Um, I'm intentionally picking up on that, that um, contemporary phenomenon of cancellation, because sometimes we can do it ourselves, even within evangelical theology. But at the same time, we don't want to repeat those mistakes. It's, it's the plot of The Last Jedi. Uh-oh. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to go Kylo Ren and cancel everybody, and you don't want to go Luke Skywalker and go be bitter and alone by yourself. You need to appropriate what is good and reject what is bad like Ray. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Well, I haven't seen uh, that movie, but it makes are sense. Are you a Last Jedi apologist? Oh, of some yes. Sort, very I guess? much so, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, See, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to, I mean, I do want to argue with you about it because I'm right. But anyway, um, I will say on the Catholicity thing, 
I, I think there's the danger that Luke is pointing out, especially with respect to like classical Trinitarianism. You know, we, we see lots of cage stage bulldogishness, bulldogishness in that arena right now. And I think, you know, we need to remember, as Luke has been saying, um, what Paul says to Timothy about rebuking an older man. Um, these these are generally views that are held and have been taught by our our betters and our elders uh, in the faith, whether they're living or dead. And um, so there's a way that we can disagree with them, but also respect them and, and acknowledge their commitment to Christ and his church. Um, but there's another danger, I think, with Baptist Catholicity, um, where, you know, it doesn't necessarily devolve into tribalism, but it could morph into kind of a squishy, amoebic, nothing distinctive about it kind of movement, where, you know, we're, we're all singing kumbaya together and never talk about what we actually disagree about or what our Baptist distinctives are. And that's also a spirit of the age right now is to sort of minimize differences. So, you know, I mean, <clears throat> within within Baptist life and Baptist history, Luke and I approach this question from the, the way that we do, because the easy danger to point out in Baptist life and thought is is separation. Right, we're always sort of isolating ourselves. We're we're separating. We're saying that well, we have the Baptist Zion, and everybody else is, you know, I don't know, I don't know where they are, but they're not on Zion. Um, you know, so like that kind of stuff. We we approach the question the way we do because there's an because of the way that Baptists, including us, at some certain points, have tended to think about ourselves as um, isolated from everyone else. Uh, in a lot of different ways, historically, theologically, hermeneutically. Um, so it is important to recognize the unity that we have with Christians. But there's another danger that as we do that, that we will lose our emphasis on Baptist distinctives, because Baptists do believe things that are distinctive to our tradition and that, and that are distinct from and in disagreement with other traditions. And we can't lose that either. So that as we try to show how we're connected to the whole Christian tradition, we also want to continue to demonstrate how we are unique um, within that tradition. We're not the, we're not just all in the same, you know, exact same living room. Um, we, we have distinct rooms that, that we live in and that we, that we think in and um, that our doctrine uh, forms and shapes us in. So, you know, I, I think the danger on the one hand is isolationism, the danger and tribalism. The danger on the other hand is losing our distinctives. So, a substantial part of this Catholic spirit seems to be retrieval, um, and so that uh, oftentimes looks like going back into the past, retrieving these uh, older sources that we can use uh, in our theological formulation. But also, I guess um, it could be retrieving, or maybe retrieving is not the right word, utilizing um, sources from contemporary theologians that are outside of our Baptist tradition. So I want to, with that in mind, zoom in to Southern Baptists in particular and ask you, um, what doctrine do you think that Southern Baptists uh, most need to uh, do some retrieval in? I know we've already talked about the Trinity, so if the Trinity is the answer, let's let's do two. So the Trinity and and what else? God in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, the hot spots, obviously, that we see today are God, the doctrine of God, the divine attributes, the Trinity, um, and the incarnation, the person of Christ. And those are obviously the central doctrines of the faith. Um, I would say another one that, other than those obvious ones, is um, ecclesiology. Um, I think a, a, a vision of the church that goes beyond polity. Right. I mean, this is something that Matt and I have talked a lot about, like uh, almost nobody cares about ecclesiology. And if they do, they focus on polity, at least in our circles. Right. I mean, it's about like church membership, church discipline, very important things. Right. Uh, But like getting a sense uh, also of not just the 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 functions of the church, but the ontology of the church. What is the church Uh, as the as the body and bride of Christ? What does that what does that mean? Uh, and what are these um, practices that that the Lord has given to us that you know Baptists typically call ordinances, but some but the earliest Baptists were perfectly comfortable referring to as sacraments, uh, even as the ordinary means of grace. Um, and what how how are these practices um, connecting us uh, to the past work of Christ, but also anticipating uh, the future? Um, you know communion of God with his people in the eschaton. So I think there's a lot of resources in the Baptist tradition and then also in the broader Christian tradition as well on the doctrine of the church that I think uh, have been untapped. That's why we end up kind of defaulting to a a kind of negation on the ordinances, right? This is what it's not. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just water. Uh, This is, this is just, you know, cracker and, and juice Nothing special here, right? So we end up falling back on these negations, trying to say what we're not. We're, you know, setting ourselves in distinction from other traditions on these things. And we never get around to saying what these things are. Well, there's actually resources in our own Baptist tradition that are richer than uh, we sometimes imagine. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I would add creation uh, and Relatedly, anthropology, I mean, those are distinct, but uh, connected. I think on anthropology, you know, we we continue to have challenges in our culture related to anthropological questions. Um, and, you know, without getting too sort of culture-y, uh, the issue of when life begins and also the issue of, of race uh, both of those are anthropological questions. And so, you know, what what Christians really need is clear-headed, biblically rooted, systematically oriented theology that can help them uh, understand Scripture's relation to the issues of the day without it devolving into, you know, American po- political party lines or something like that. Um so I think I think anthropology is one of those. I think uh, creation is a related question. You know, the doctrine of creation has sort of it's had its focus in the evolution debate for a hundred years, and there's a lot more to the doctrine of creation than that. And so, just just in terms of like Christians thinking about the wonder of the world and what the purpose for creation is, and um, as Luke mentioned, with with ecclesiology and and its eschatological bent towards the communion of the saints, 
uh, creation as an eschatological bent as well, a telos um, that we need to, to think about and talk about. Um, but also the doctrine of creation in relation to um, what scripture is and, and how to read it and what hermeneutics is, you know, the, the fact that it's written in words and on paper and what that means. I mean, those are all, to me, really interesting theological questions that would help Southern Baptists think well about the the, the correct and distinct ways that we articulate uh, the doctrines of creation and, and anthropology. That's good. So now I want to think about the role that, and these are two distinct things, I think, but so you can answer either one of them or both of them if you want. The role that institutions play in serving the local church towards Baptist Catholicity, and then thinking about how creeds and confessions function in supporting Baptist Catholicity. Um, you can talk practically or a little bit more abstractly if you want, so I'll let you take those in the direction that you want to take them. Do you mean institutions outside of the local church, right? Outside of the local church, yes. Well, I'll just say in that regard, if there's a donor out there who wants to endow the Center for Baptist Renewal at Oklahoma Baptist University, uh, Luke and I are going to be there together in the fall. So, you know, come on. Um, I do... The new Duke University of Southern Baptist <laughs> Education. There you go. Um, so I think institutions you know, our parachurch organizations. They're there to support and strengthen and help the local church. And that's especially true in a Baptist model. Um, so, you know, what I what I view my role here is as is to help train the next generation, equip the next generation of leaders for kingdom impact, um, just to get a bit of a commercial and that's the mission statement of the Hobbs school of theology and ministry at Oklahoma Baptist university. Um, and, and in doing that, we want to be biblically rooted, theologically faithful, practically relevant. And so, you know, for me, when, when I think about that and Luke's coming on, uh, in the fall as the chair of, of our Hobbs school, when I think about that, I, I think about, um, our role in, equipping that next generation of pastors, student pastors, worship pastors, missionaries, church planners with that kind of Baptist Catholicity in mind, where we want our students to graduate and have the perspective that they know that they're a part of the Christian tradition. They understand that. And that that happens through a variety of means here. It happens through our curriculum. Um, it happens th through the readings that we require of them. It happens through... Uh, some of our different opportunities for worship. One of our professors just started a, a laud service on Tuesday morning where they're, where they're going through morning prayer. You know, I mean, it happens in a variety of ways where we're just demonstrating how they're connected to the entire Christian tradition. But it also happens that in our curriculum and through, through our readings and all those other things, we want them to know what it is to be Baptist and why we're Baptist. Uh, we want them to come out of, of our school in equipped in both of those ways. And I think that's what an institution should be about. Uh, it, you know, of course, other institutions are not Southern Baptists or not Baptists at all. Um, but, but institutions that exist to equip, um, the next generation of, of leaders of, of, uh, ministry leaders need to connect their students to the Christian tradition and need to help them understand their distinctives. I mean, I would just say as well for us, we're a, we're not only a, 
ministry training institution, we're a Christian liberal arts university. So this is not just true for our ministry students. We want that to be true of everybody who comes to OBU, whether they're studying ministry or nursing or business or whatever. Um, we want them to, to live all of life all for Jesus, and we want them to do that in ways that they understand the whole Christian tradition uh, in relation to our, our Baptist distinctive. So again, that's going to translate differently to other institutions that are not in Oklahoma, they're not Southern Baptists, they're not Christian liberal arts institutions, um, but that's just an example of the way that I think about that institutionally. And I, and I do think that universities have a unique role to play as institutions that help train people how how to think, how to read, how to treat other views with with charity um, and respect. Um, I, you know that, that you want, we want to be training those kinds of people to go not only be pastors but also lay leaders and, and lay people in the church um, who are exhibiting this kind of spirit, right? That without losing our Baptist distinctives, without losing our convictions there, also just learning how to interact with other people with charity and kindness. Um, I know that's getting dumped on a lot these days, like the idea that you could actually combine the things that you guys try to combine on this podcast. You, you know, it is actually possible um, to, uh, to be winsome or, or civil or kind. Um, and at the same time, be, uh, unapologetic and, and bold and truth telling. Um, and so the university exists to teach people how to think, uh, along those lines, not just teaching them what to think, just to kind of indoctrinization here, here, here's the set of propositions that you have to repeat. Uh, but actually teaching them how to think and how to interact with other perspectives from a framework of a biblical conviction. As we wrap up here, I just have one final question. Uh, someone, one of you guys mentioned Timothy George earlier as kind of an exemplar of what you're putting forward here is this Baptist Catholicity. I wonder if you have maybe two or three more folks who um, the listeners could go to as a good model uh, for this um, Catholic spirit. I'm primarily thinking about people who were active today, but I mean, we can go back into history, but just folks that um, that people can be reading um, that are modeling what you're putting forward. Yeah, we dedicated the Baptist and the Christian tradition book to Timothy George and to David Dockery. I mean, so those are the two men who are, are what we consider to be pioneers in, in this vein. I mean, in the in the late twentieth century, of course, we can, as you as you mentioned, as we've talked about, there are others throughout Baptist history that uh, have attempted to connect. But there there is a sense in which um, George and Dockery have been the ones to really reconnect. Southern Baptists to the Christian tradition, especially in the latter half of the 20th century and into the 21st. Um, I would also point everybody to Nathan Finn's uh, Hobbes lecture at OBU, and I, I can't remember the exact year that was. I think it was 2018. Um, I can look it up and send it to you guys later, but um, he gave a lecture on Baptist identity, and uh, I don't want to misrepresent what he said, but it was essentially what we've described here, which is that Baptists were our first Christian, then Reformational, Evangelical, uh, etc. So uh, that's a good lecture to listen to in terms of the kind of way that we describe Baptist identity. And we look to Nathan as well as a, a mentor and a friend, um, but also as a, a, pi a fellow pioneer. 
um, in the second generation of George and Dockery. And Michael Haken as well. Um, Michael Hagen, one one of our one of my professors at Southern Seminary, um, who's written voluminously, voluminously, um, um, and every possible avenue of publication. Um, he's a rare uh, combination of a patristic scholar and also a Baptist historian, um, and so read him in both of those veins. But he just recently published a book with Lexham Press on the um, uh, sacramentalism among Baptists. Um, and he also contributed a chapter to our book on the Lord's Supper. Um, so that's another one. Another another uh, couple of guys that we hope uh, people will read, younger Southern Baptist scholars, um, Tyler Whitman and Bobby Jameson, um, who are getting set to publish a, um, a book on basically how to, how to read the Bible um, in a Trinitarian way. Um, and so... Those are guys that I think are doing really impressive work um, who are our contemporaries, um, who are tapped into the Christian tradition, but also deeply engaged in the biblical text in that vein. That's good stuff. And just to be clear, when I said Duke University, I didn't mean rich. I meant you guys were assembling an elite talent at OBU um, because I can't think of a better Baptist institution that's growing like you guys are with the excellent faculty that you have there together. So I I imagine a lot of our listeners are going to be kicking themselves, wishing they had the opportunity to go get a bachelor's degree. And for those who have children who are of that age, or if we have any younger listeners who are interested in school, you should go check out OBU and their programs there. Because I think you're going to get both the intellectual stimulation that you desire, but also the the, the sort of pastoral care uh, that you want to have. So I think you're going to have the, the best of both worlds there. I, 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 if I were a student again and I was going, that's where I would want to go. So I'll put that out there as my own commendation to go check out OBU. So thanks. I'll you put a check in the mail to you to later, talk. Jordan. Appreciate that. <laughs> Well, you know, I've already got Soros sending me money, so it's all there right. You go. No. Also, if we want to have an episode where you debate The Last Jedi with me and we go analytic philosophy on this thing, I'm ready. No, no, no. I have no strong feelings about The Last Jedi. My wife is the Star Wars nerd in the family, not me. Oh, okay. Um, I see. I enjoy watching them. She tells me all the time about... Oh, I mean, I'll argue the, with your wife, too. I mean, she liked The Last Jedi. She just was mad that it cut out like the Darth, Darth Vader and stuff or whatever. So I don't know all the okay. details that go on with that. All right. Fair, fair. So anyway, thanks, guys, for coming on. Um, go check out the book. I'll link to that as well. Uh, I think it's a, it's a tremendous resource, especially for Baptists uh, and non-Baptists alike. I think it's a helpful resource. So thanks for uh, chatting with us. And for everybody who's been listening, you've been listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.